season finale. Oh, wow. Season five, episode six. Welcome to Relay SA, a connected conversation about student affairs in Canada. My name is Adam Kewen. And I'm Nadia Rosemond. The relay part of our show is that every time we interview someone, they recommend and refer us to a friend or colleague across the nation, and we have a connected relay from coast to coast. Yeah, the essay is for student affairs, so it's folks who are students, staff, or faculty who are somehow connected to the world of student affairs. And this last episode is with the fabulous Erin Kaipanen. Yay! So Erin uh, is in a relay that uh, back in episode two, oh. Darren Fernandez, episode two of season one, Darren Fernandez suggested Erin as someone to speak with, and in episode Darren. one... Yep. Jen had connected Darren, so it's uh, it's just all continuing. Another Back relay. to kind of patient zero, which is Jen, um, who's given us uh, the lead on so many wonderful conversations and been the start of so many amazing relays. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jen. A cool uh, fact between you and Aaron, where did you actually meet? So we met physically for the first time in Costa Rica because we had connected through, we both used to work in kind of international community service learning. And uh, we both were working on a project with the community partners in Costa Rica, and we decided to kind of merge our programs. So Whoa. we did a joint McMaster Calgary trip. So she had, I think, 10 students. I had 10 students. Oh, wow. And then we both met in country when we were both That's kind of so arriving cool. on this rural fishing island to, to, to work with this community for a couple of weeks. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It's a small world. Such a small world. So now Erin is a senior specialist of experiential learning at the Taylor Institute for Teaching and Learning at the University of Calgary and uh, just has so many in- insights, has had so many different interesting positions. And so uh, I think this is a really great conversation to end our season on. Let's listen. I will declare that I'm not the type to have any years. It's worth all the shares. The number one podcast is student affairs. Want to hear what they have to say, along with all the guests that popping popping on the way. Without further delay, it's all right we're recording perfect (laughs) um so why don't you tell us your name okay my name is erin kaipanen and where do you work erin i work at the university of calgary and i'm in a new role with taylor institute for teaching and learning okay what's so is that like your center for for all yeah what is that center well we it used to be, um, what was it called before? I'm not even sure. Uh, teaching and Learning Center, I think. Um, and so there's been like a profound shift um, to um, put teaching kind of at the at the center of what the university does. So we are like a, we're a building and a team and a culture. Uh, the Taylor Institute for Teaching and Learning is, is um importantly located um, in a showcase building at the center of campus to demonstrate that teaching is at the center of what we do um, at the University of Calgary. It's a beautiful building and I believe it's like the first building in Canada that was that's dedicated um, specifically to improving um, teaching and learning at a university. It's also a LEED certified building. It's pretty cool. Um, and my role with the Taylor Institute is to support the development of a centralized experiential learning team um, to support the experiential learning that happens off campus. And is this kind of uh, encompassing curricular and co-curricular spaces or more kind of academic curricular? No, that's a good question. 
often, and yeah, this is a secondment for me from my um, role in student services. Um, and that was one of my first questions when we talked about experiential learning. Are we thinking about what happens in the classroom? Or are we talking about co-curricular experiences too? Because that's primarily where my experience comes from. Um, and at University of Calgary, when we talk about experiential learning, we're talking about both what happens for credit and what is co-curricular as well. Nice. Nice. For me to get excited about it, it has to be both. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm so grateful that we found the time for um, this interview. Darren Fernandez, I think, uh, passed the relay over to you <laughs> like, a while ago. So I'm glad that we're able to finally have the conversation. What was your connection with Darren? Uh, I worked um, my first job out of grad school uh, with a contract at Carleton University. Um, it was like this hybrid role um, to develop uh, leadership programs for students and to develop service learning programs, both curricular and co-curricular um, service learning programs. And it was within their um, office that at the time was called the First Year Experience Office. And at the time, Darren was this super impressive, as you can imagine, uh, undergraduate student that worked in our office. I can't remember exactly what his portfolio was. I just recall that he was very impressive as he continues to be. Yeah. He's just kind of one of those like stand up people that you're like, oh, wish you could have an ounce of that put togetherness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I think about the most stressful part about this interview is who I passed the, the relay to. And I think, well, you already spoke with Darren and you already spoke with Chris Adam and Shannon Clark was already nominated. <laughs> I worked with some really tremendous people at Carleton. I was only there for two years, but uh, I, I mean, that's what really inspired me besides my background at, at Brock in student experience as a student. Um, my two years at Carleton were really what inspired me to continue working in the field of student affairs. And I think that's true for almost anyone I talked to who was, who was passed <laughs> through Carleton I think especially within a particular like time frame, it was really um, meaningful and really, I think, catalyzed a lot of people into into careers in student affairs and kind of post-secondary. Yeah, I think you're right. And yeah, absolutely. Well, let's maybe like step back a little bit. So you did your undergraduate and graduate at Brock? That's right. Yes, I'm a badger. So badgers. <laughs> And were you involved as an undergrad? What was your what was your story there? Yeah, so um, I went to Brock for a degree in English language and literature. It's a totally different story about how I ended up at Brock. I'm not sure that I want to share that on a um, podcast, but okay. <laughs> but I ended up at Brock, um, and I lived in residence for four years, which seems crazy now, but it seemed like the norm when I was at Brock. Um, but as a high school student, I had visited Brock and it wasn't my top choice uh, for a university. But very quickly, I felt a really strong sense of community in residence at Brock. Um, and I, I just really wanted to be there. And then I lived in res in my first year and I was involved in their residence council. And in subsequent years, I was involved with the residence action council. I served on res life. I worked for the student newspaper, um, and then I had a job, um, not in my first, I guess, job outside of this life, um, as I was graduating, um, working for research services, and I just really loved living and working at Brock. Mm. And then, so was that why you decided to hang out to do a master's, or what What prompted that? Uh, let's see. I was a first-generation 
student, um, and uh, my parents were were really supportive of me going to university, but weren't a lot of help in helping me navigate opportunities at university. I didn't have a lot of support from even my guidance counselor in high school from a small town and, you know, choosing a major, things like that. Um, and at Brock, um, I mean, Brock has grown tremendously since 1998. Um, but it was still a small campus at the time. And then the residence life experience was even, you know, a smaller community. And I consider myself really fortunate. I reflect on this often, really, really fortunate to have had um, a number of professors subsequent, like multiple times. Um, And I, I mean, those are people that they really made an impression on me and, um, I I was aware of the research that they were doing. I I don't know. I talked I mean, I could I could approach them and, and talk to them using their first name. I would see them throwing the football, my geography prop, and my ultimately my grad supervisor throwing the football in the quad. You know, on a break. Um, and I had a, a couple of faculty members that uh, really nudged me um, to consider a graduate degree. And I think. Um, like a first-generation student, I didn't really know what that meant. I assumed that it meant I would take on a lot of debt, um, and I didn't. Um, and they just really helped me kind of navigate that. And I was definitely a student, and I continue to be someone that I, I, I do really well when I have a nudge from from someone um, in, in one direction. I'm really grateful for Sue Speary uh, at Brock and, and Mike Ripmeister at Brock that really kind of nudged me to consider a graduate degree. There's no connection between my graduate degree, no intentional connection between my graduate degree um, and my work at Carleton, just that I was starting to look for opportunities and my head resident, former head resident that I'd worked for in Res Life, always sent me like totally wild um, opportunities that would be all around the world in international development or different areas. And um, I was in a relationship and they all sounded awesome, but not things that uh, um, would be a great fit for me. Um, and then one day she sent me uh, this job description for a role at, at Carleton in um, student leadership development. And I was like, hey, I student leadership was a huge part of my experience at Brock. I'm going to apply for this. So I did. Nice. What was the focus of your master's work then, if it wasn't totally connected to your? Uh, so my, my undergrad was in English language and literature, but I really loved my interdisciplinary courses in environment and international studies. And um, I, I had, speaking of experiential learning, I'd had uh, a field study uh, or a directed study that I did with a prof um, uh, in rural Argentina. And just through that field experience, I um, I noticed like this graffiti all over urban areas in Argentina. It was really different from graffiti that I had seen here. It was it was really urgent. It seemed it was referencing a traumatic period thirty years prior um, to the Dirty War in Argentina. Um, and I I wanted to understand more, but it didn't fit with that field study. It didn't fit with any of my coursework. Um, and that same prof encouraged me to pursue that in, in my graduate program. So it was a interdisciplinary sociology program. It's called Social Justice and Equity Studies. Um, and I mean, a lot of people that go into it are from sociology, but I was coming from, from English literature. And there were people from all kinds of different disciplines there. 
And so was that when I was kind of doing some looking around, there's the publication <laughs> of uh, Graffiti, oh. Memory, and Contested Space. Oh, yeah. That, that's me. Amazing. <laughs> it's like so, a lifetime ago, but... Um, it's yeah, on the it's internet, there. so it's there forever. It is there forever, yes. And I remain, I mean, I'm. it came, it came back to like a, a lecture in first year from that geography prof that I would see tossing the football on breaks that um, his research was really focused on the politics of memory and contested spaces, like both with monuments. Um, and we're seeing a lot of that um, now with decolonization in Canada, but um, a lot of this was happening in Argentina around spaces that had um, a really contested or really, really um, uh, challenging past or um, uh, like spaces that used to be used as detention centers, for example, in the 70s and that, you know, would then go on to be office buildings or, or something else. And and um, people who are dissatisfied with uh, the way memory or, or history of the past is is remembered, contesting the use of that space and, and calling on people to remember what happened in that space. So yes, that, that would be me many years ago. That's so interesting. <laughs> so then how long, so then you picked up and moved to Ottawa for this new gig and you, you met Darren and your life was changed. And then, <laughs> I uh, did. and yes. then what other, so were you in the same role for your whole time at Carleton? Yeah, I was. And it was like this hybrid between, um, so the first year experience office, um, I don't know if it was like two years old at that point, but it was, it was new and they were doing things really differently at Carleton, a really strong focus on the student experience. And so my role at the time, um, I think was, uh, like setting the foundation for those leadership development programs and what was really brand new at the time, because they didn't have an alternative spring break program. Um, one of my colleagues that was there before me had started kind of groundwork to, to think of planning an alternative spring break. So it was like this hybrid role between service learning and uh, leadership development. And I, I think they ended up growing into two, two different roles. But I, I went there because I really wanted to work in leadership development. Um, but very quickly, I discovered that it was community service learning that I was super passionate about. And, you know, what? Like a lot of people, I didn't realize that it was this was a thing. Um, and uh, when I had the opportunity to work on an alternative spring break program within the first six months of, of being at Carleton, I was like, I was hooked, and that um, that was where I wanted to focus. So tell me about that first trip. Mm. What, how did you put it together? What did how did it go? Oh, it was such an incredible learning opportunity because um, we had the opportunity to uh, almost be shadowed by the UBC Learning Exchange. Um, and because they had this really strong, they still do a uh, track program um, where they had a huge number of spring break programs where their students would be working in um, a school in Vancouver on a project that the school had identified as something that they wanted to have done. Um, so our students worked alongside uh, UBC students. Um, we went there, I think I went there for two years and I may, <laughs> that's a long time ago, so I may mix up Carleton and my early years at the University of Calgary as well. Um, but uh, I think the first year we were working with uh, Grandview School and I had a small group of students, like 10 or 12, and they ranged from first year to, to graduating students. Um, and I believe in that 
first year, I also had an associate dean that joined me, which looking back, I think that is incredible. Um, like stayed with us in like YMCA, you know, residence and everything. And, uh, you know, participated alongside the students. And in that short experience, I could just um, see how powerful this was for students, like really powerful way for them no matter what they were studying, no matter what year of study they were in, um, a powerful way for them to learn about um, inner city issues, for them to learn about diversity, about poverty in Canada, um, and a really valuable way to see them making connections amongst themselves. And you could just see that they were really inspired and it was just such a powerful learning experience. Um, I had wished that I had had, I mean, I had some powerful experiences, but um, that particular board um, inspired me to, to want to, to do more and to continue to do this work. And you totally have, right? Cause you've done it kind of at Calgary and then, and then at some point, what was your transition to to Alberta? To Alberta? Um, oh, that's a that's a good question. Well, so when I started at Carleton, I was working both in leadership development and service learning. Um, I was on a committee uh, that was looking at not specifically service learning. It was probably like community engaged learning um, at Carleton University, but my focus wasn't so much academic service learning as it was co-curricular service learning. Um, and as I was growing in that area, I felt like I really wanted um, to support both. I really wanted to work in the classroom and do academic service learning, and I wanted to be working with faculty. Um, and it just wasn't, I mean, I was located in student services. It just wasn't, um, you know, going to happen right away. Uh, and then coincidentally, an opportunity came up um, at the University of Calgary to, to start developing um, academic service learning and co-curricular service learning. Ironically, my focus still ended up being on co-curricular service learning, and that was okay. And it, it's strange because that we came to Calgary in 2008, and I've kind of, uh, you know, from there, I was, I was doing about 50% academic service learning and 50% co-curricular service learning. Um, it's really hard to do that work from student services. And I don't think I knew that in 2006 and I didn't know that in 2008, um, but I know that now. <laughs> so, um, and so now this is my first step outside of student, student affairs, really. I don't know, should I be doing the essay relay if I don't work in student affairs? Of course. <laughs> You're, the connections run deep. They do, they do. Yeah. And so I'm trying to think when I first connected with you, because we went to Costa Rica together. Right. And yeah, that was the beginning of, of, of something too. So I believe we probably had those first conversations around 2008, possibly. Yeah. Because um, when I came to the University of Calgary, one of the priorities was to create an international service learning program. We had lots of um, group study programs through our international office, but we uh, they weren't they weren't co-curricular they weren't necessarily service learning so um yeah we were I think at the same time maybe we were both looking at doing an international program um and yeah starting something new is hard and I wasn't getting like the critical mass I needed in, in my first year um and maybe you were the same boat and 
we were connected somehow to <laughs> to work project in Costa Rica. And I think it was really serendipitous. Yeah, and it was fabulous to be able to um, um, have groups of students from two different institutions kind of also sharing in this experience together in Costa Rica. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, still on Facebook, I see like what some of your students from that, that must have been 20, 2009, 2010 maybe, um, what some of your students are now doing and they're students that I met only because of that connection between Mac and and you Calgary. Um, and sometimes you can still see conversations between former U Calgary students and former Mac students that yeah. only that experience. Oh, I think it was, was it Stephanie who just graduated like med school last year or something like that? Oh, there's like from a, Calgary? Yeah, there's a couple of them. There Because there were three students that had done like the bachelor program for them. Um, and they were really, really close. Like Han Nguyen, I think, and Stephanie Lim and uh, Valerie. Valerie, I can't remember her last name. but Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I was cheering them on from the sidelines just from that yeah. one time we spent together. Yeah. That was amazing. Your one student that just went on that epic um, motorcycle trip through South America. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Oh. <laughs> well, and I wanted to ask, I learned so much from you kind of co-facilitating this international service learning trip on mm-hmm. your island. But I'm just wondering, too, like... There's a lot of critiques about service learning, and I was just wondering if you could speak to some of the things you keep in mind to make sure that you're doing it well. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I, I think it's this constant tension. It's good that it's there to kind of remind you that you um, really need to be refining our practice um, and the discussions that we have w- with students. But, um, I mean, going back to 2008 when I was developing an international service learning program, I think it's really easy to get caught up in in taking students somewhere that, that's popular. And um, at that time, um, and yeah, even with reading week programs, not necessarily like spring term programs or longer term programs, that there's this uh, desire sometimes um from institutions to to go one place and then go somewhere else, like responding to student interest or something in the news or something like that. Um, so I, I think it's really important that this work is based on on relationships. Um, and we're kind of getting into this a, a, a little bit. I, I mean, I no longer um, am involved with the program on Tierra Island, but it remains close to my heart. Um, but I just understand that I think um, uh, the school that we've continued to work with every year, and I think that's a really, really beautiful partnership, but um, that uh, I think the school is being rebuilt and they're starting to explore um, the idea of working with another school on, on Tierra Island. So um, I think that that's really valuable, um, And but it's... It, we have to do a lot of work to cultivate um, that relationship and those connections. And it's not just connections to like our partner in Costa Rica that does not live on Jira Island. It's relationships with people that live in that small island community. So. I think that's one of the things that I always found challenging with um, not even just global service learning, but any kind of service learning is, oh, yeah. Yeah. is we sometimes connect with community agencies and and kind of hold them as a placeholder for the community. Mm. Um, and so if you're partnering with an organization, that is kind of a perhaps a closer step to the community that you're wishing to engage with, but it's not the same. 
Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so true. So true. And I mean, we all get so busy with the other things that we're working on. But um, to really do this work well, you really have to cultivate relationships. So and then and, and navigate kind of changes. So the, the program in Costa Rica has gone through a number of changes. Um, I think we're really fortunate that we had like five continuity there's a lot to be said for when an institution is able to send the same person for five years so that was that was true of both our partner in Costa Rica um, and University of Calgary but you know life life changes people move on to, to different roles as well um, and uh, uh, you know like how can we ensure continuity like so I think we try to send um, a project leader that has been in the community uh, the previous year at least but um, I don't know that we'll ever get to sending the same person for five years in a row but that, that would be optimal I think yeah I think that continuity is key in that relationality so it's not just kind of transactional mm-hmm. yeah 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 and the, and uh, we're, I, I just love that project and I love that uh, the community was was so supportive or continues to be so supportive um, and the connection wasn't just like the partner in Costa Rica was so valuable is so valuable um, but there were connections beyond that like between you know members of our leadership team and um, the school that we worked with uh, um, like one of like like Wilberth you probably remember I do uh, yeah yeah <laughs> um, that worked at uh, the school that we partnered with oh phenomenal hmm. um, I'm just recalling a story on Cheer Island where one of our tasks that had been identified by the school was to, to paint the oh, yeah. the roofs and a lot of the students were like we're not sure about why this mattered. They're like, shouldn't we be focusing? Shouldn't we be spending this money on pencils or anything? Like they were really questioning the project. And then our, uh, it might've been Wilbur, but someone was like, yeah, when we paint the roofs, we can extend the lifespan of these structures by like 10 years. Yeah. 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 And it just became really evident that even though the students in so many ways know so much, um, that trusting the community to identify where energy should be placed is, is actually what, matters yeah yeah i think that points to a number of things like like as you said um how do we equip our students to understand to trust the community um but also for the students like how can we best prepare students um to be effective um on the ground and and i think a lot can be said for context it's really helpful for them to understand why they're doing something or or why a particular project is valuable yeah and a touch of humility too around we're not the, we're not the know all, the yeah. all knowing people. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Okay. So you've been at Calgary for a while now, and I think you've also had a few different iterations of your job and jobs and leaves and. Yeah. I, I mean, I've had, uh, I've recently had two uh, parental leaves. I've got two boys and I would say, I mean, I've, I've worked in the same area up until this May when I, I took on this this new role. And this is, I mean, it, there's connections to my previous work, but it's my first step outside of student affairs. And But before that, um, I was first working specifically in, in service learning um, in a really small um, unit. We were a really small team, like, like two people, three people sometimes. Um, but we always had kind of like a, a sister office or brother office or partner office um in it's gone through various iterations too but like 
leadership and student engagement, basically. Um, and uh, at one point, uh, it seemed I was like the common director between the two of them, and they remained two separate units. We did staff meetings together, and we had common um there was overlap between our visions so um at one point uh i i merged those two together so center community engaged learning and leadership and student engagement became one office so um so i was the director of one and then became the director of the two of them together okay and what was that process like institutional change is really challenging i learned i learned a lot through that process um uh yeah really hard, I think. Um, but one of the things that I found helpful, um, it was just, again, kind of serendipitous, but I had returned from maternity leave and I had the opportunity to go to this, um, uh, training institute, I guess, on, on using strength with students. Um, cause that was a big, big focus. It continues to be a focus in our leadership programming. Um, and really it was like a two day program and that was my focus. I wanted to learn a lot more about strengths and developing a strengths based campus. Um, and the second day was really focused on this area of research called like student thriving by, uh, Lori Schreiner. Um, and I kind of saw that as, oh, that's just like a, a nice to have. I'm really here for the strengths. Um, but I came away from that institute or conference um, with, I guess, equipped with this this knowledge or this resource. Um, and I just read like the first chapter of Lori Schreiner's book um, called Thriving in Transitions. Um, and as I was reading that, I was like, oh my goodness, this, um, this is like the why for all of the work that we do in my office. And it, it wasn't, I think merging two offices was challenging, but I also had other challenges in that. And, and you have this when you have like clear portfolios. So we had like an orientation and transition portfolio, a student life portfolio, leadership development, and uh, community engagement or service learning. Um, and what I found with uh, that work on student thriving was that it could be like the common thread that, that, was woven through all of the work that we did. And we could together find common purpose um, if we focused on thriving as ultimately what the goal for our work or yeah, the direction of our work. Um, so I'm not gonna say that it was easy <laughs> and uh, involving the entire team in kind of charting the direction using um, Lori Schreiner's work as kind of a, um, I guess a map for where we were going was really helpful. That sounds amazing because I think organizational change, although difficult, might be made easier when there's kind of a, a common North Star or kind of some sort of commonality for all. Yeah, yeah. And I think it also helps us like our work or um, like with people outside of our office and outside of, of student student services too. Hmm. Is there a particular um, kind of conceptualization of thriving that you that resonated with you? Um, I think what was really helpful to me, it's a little while, forgive my mommy brain, <laughs> it's a little while since I've engaged with that. Um, I really liked Lori Schreiner's um, 
kind of reframing of student success as student thriving, that we're equipping students not just to survive the college experience, but to thrive when they're here. And then in her research, she's kind of drilled down, and I will totally get them wrong, but um, to what are the things that feed student thriving and uh, what, what are the elements of student thriving? And without into like all of the details, um, because I won't remember them, but uh, one of the I really liked was that this model of student thriving crosses that curricular, co-curricular, or student affairs, academic affairs divide. And it's like, if we're supporting student thriving, this happens inside the classroom and it happens outside the classroom. And um, one of the other things I really liked about her model was she she talked about, okay, this is what um, you know thriving in university means. Um, and these are the things that we can do to support student thriving. And a lot of these things are within our control. And I think that was really powerful for, for me and for our staff that, um, for example, by helping students to develop a sense of purpose, we can feed student thriving. By helping students understand their strengths and how to leverage them when facing um, challenges, we can help support student thriving. So um, yeah, those things were just really, really powerful for me. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. And I also am wondering if you've been able to bring any of that with you into your new role, because it sounds like you're, if you're approaching teaching kind oh. of holistically, then it also touches on some of those themes as well. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I think the strongest connection I see is to um, having a sense of purpose. I think that is that was so powerful for me in my early career. Um, and I think that's clearly one of the benefits of experiential learning, um, especially if a student has multiple opportunities to engage with experiential learning, that it's really about um, you know, finding the things that um, bring joy to them, finding the things where they like, you know, you totally lose track of time and you're really engaged with the process um, by providing students with those um, alternative ways of learning, um, you know, in comparison to a traditional lecture. Um, that students are more likely to kind of develop that sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. um, I also feel like at one point in your career, there was like the University of Calgary Women's Center was in your purview. Yeah, that's right. So um, under, they've moved around a little bit. They used to be part of student services. They're still, um, I think they're under our wellness center right now, but, uh, and have been for, for quite a few years. Um, but at one point, uh, so speaking of strengths, <laughs> one of my top five is adaptability, um, which sometimes comes in handy when priorities change or the where the, or there's sudden change. Yeah, um, there was a change in, in leadership in our. It's a very small um, but very impressive powerhouse little unit, uh, the Women's Resource Center on campus, and um, there had there was a change in leadership, and I was at the time. Uh, one, I think I was a one-person shop, basically, so I, I didn't have, uh, you know, a, a specific center, and I was quite flexible and could work between two portfolios, and there was a little bit of overlap between the work that we were doing, so I was called on to kind of step into the leadership role for our Women's Resource Center um, uh, uh, as they kind of sorted out directions for that space. Nice. Mm -hmm. I think it's so awesome to hear you kind of talking about your own strengths in your work and also like how it also benefits students, but how it can help in our organizations when we can know what each other are capable of. 
Oh yeah. And I'm finding it super helpful. I mean, I'm, I'm in, I don't know how many people are, are on our team now, maybe like 40 or something like that. But, um, the Taylor Institute for teaching and learning, um, there's like an educational development unit and there's lots of um, different roles under that. There's a, um, college for discovery, creativity and innovation. There's like a team that a team that does learning technologies, a bunch of educational development consultants, and I've kind of come into this. I'm the, the new person, or I'm, I'm still playing the new card. Um, I've come into this team, and experiential learning kind of, um, I think we're kind of positioned as like the the last the last unit within the Taylor Institute. Um, and I think like we are developing a centralized office to support experiential learning, but so we are kind of a standalone unit within the Institute, but at the same time, the work of experiential learning is woven throughout the work that those other teams do. So for me, um, I'm, we're like a two person group right now. So for us to, to really make an impact, we have to leverage the strengths of those um, those other teams. For, so for me personally, it's been really helpful uh, to understand uh, what the other, the people that are doing course design or working with learning technology, the educational development, what do they do? And then also specifically, what are their like Gallup strengths? Um, and so designing a guide for instructors not I shouldn't even say I'm designing it because I'm not when, when I need a guide for instructors doing experiential learning who can I look to in this institute like I don't I don't have to do that myself and you know who's got the the skills and experience but also the like Gallup strengths to, to help me so I've been facilitating some strength sessions with with my new colleagues um nice. You know, serves serves the purpose of the institute, but also helps me um, kind of understand who I'm working with. Absolutely. Oh, um, I'm wondering if we can shift gears just slightly to talk about. So, in the last couple of years, you've had these two amazing kids, um, mm -hmm. and kind of returning to work and starting a new gig. Um, I know that it's a topic that comes up a lot around just kind of balancing family and kind of those obligations and these roles that can be sometimes quite demanding. Mm -hmm. um, is there any, any insights that you think might be useful for anyone who is perhaps, um, having a shared experience? Having, having a shared, ex like someone that's contemplating, can I have a family and can I work in student affairs at the same time? Yeah. 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 And I mean, for the longest time I wasn't, I wasn't planning on having kids. It was really, honestly, those kids in my quote family on Chira Island that uh, that really changed changed um, changed my mind. Um, but uh, I was I was really married to my work for a number of years because, and I think we get caught up in that cycle where the work that we do is is so meaningful. Uh, we see the impact on students, so it's it's pretty easy to default to you know devoting yourself exclusively to your work, and that was really how I defined myself. Um, so a little bit of uh, consciousness when you're like, oh my god, like how am I going to to do this? How can I, um, you know, do both of these things well? And I I am definitely not an expert in figuring that out either. But I would say that when I came back from my first mat leave. Um, your priorities change and you kind of get a little bit better at managing your time too and saying no to things sometimes too. Right. Um, still hard. Um, but I, I found my change in perspective and what was most important really, really refreshing. Um, yeah. Uh, 
don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it's a constant juggling act and sometimes it's just completely, it's, it's a juggling act and it's really, really difficult. Um, but I wouldn't change it for anything. Um, and I also think that having kids has made me a better manager and definitely made me a better, more empathetic manager. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Um, now, I also wanted to ask you about baby wearing Calgary. Speaking of kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, as I said, I used to really define myself by my work in student affairs. And I, it's still a huge part of my identity, but it's not the only thing about Erin Hyperman. Um, and uh, when I was on mat leave with my first, I think it was really just out of necessity and kind of fostering that bond um, with your with your child. And um, I, I'm a follower of attachment parenting. And um, I just, I mean, it was just really utilitarian too, to be able to um, use a wrap or some sort of baby carrier to move from place A to B with my with my baby or to settle a, a you know a cranky baby at night um just to be able to get a little bit of work done in the house when you had a teething child so I just I found um kind of a, a community of people through baby wearing Calgary um that helped me develop confidence and competence to to carry my child um and as I returned to work I would say um Maintaining a connection to like the the world of parenting and to, to like something that would help, help remind me when I was really busy at work that I was also a parent and I was also a member of this other community that was really important to me. Um, community in general, I mean, through the work that I do with students, um, community and fostering a sense of community, finding a sense of community um, has always been a priority to me. Um, and so I've kind of taken on a facilitator role for a couple of years, I guess, with Baby Wearing Calgary to help new parents learn how to carry their children safely and, you know, get all the other things done that they need to do. Um, and I don't know if in your internet searching, you may have found that I'm also a postpartum doula. Um, but it was just, uh, as I went on my second mat leave, um, I was really inspired by the work that my um, birth and postpartum doula um, was doing. And I like learning for the sake of learning, not necessarily because it's going to, you know, I'm going to pursue a particular career path. And on my second mat leave, I was considering going to the caucus. um, I don't know. It was like an assessment institute or something like that and self-funding my way to go. And then I had a total change of tune and decided to go to Victoria to do a course to train to be a postpartum doula and baby wearing is kind of part of that and um yeah that's kind of me as a learner that I just like to I don't know um I don't know learn keep learning um be part of a community um and help I just like helping other people and um motherhood really kind of changed like the added a different set of communities um to, to the communities that I'm part of amazing that's so cool. Um, I was going to ask you about um, the Students for Development program. Oh, that's a long time ago. That was like 2005? Oh, God. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. It, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. What, it's, it's, uh, I think it has a different name now, but it was, uh, I think it was maybe in the second year or the first year of that internship program that was funded by the federal government. And you, so you did some, yeah. 
Um, it was, how did that come about? I don't know. It was like this uh, federally funded internship program. At the time, you had to find your internship. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah. It was, I think the the purpose at the time for the, the federal program was to um, cultivate relationships between uh universities in Canada and um, not necessarily universities, but um, organizations in uh, like around the world, but mostly in um, uh, certain priority regions. And mm. I had the opportunity uh, to do an internship in Argentina. And uh, really, it came about as a, con- a connection that a faculty member had to that field school that I had done in Argentina or field study that I Argentina to a small um, Argentine uh, environmental NGO. Um, and I was working with a uh, municipality of Rosario in, in Argentina. That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, if it's on the internet, uh-huh, it's, it's findable yeah. forever, but it looked, it looked amazing. And I just think yeah. there's this really fascinating through line through some of the experiences around um, community and change and social dynamics and kind of being able to um, facilitate that thriving, whether it's through kind of examining these artifacts of the past or providing experience and experiences for people in the present. But no, I think your your career trajectory and educational trajectory is so interesting to me. It, and you know what? It's not like I, I work with like some people or, or a lot of students where uh, they have things like they're, they're really lined up and they're really intentional about the experiences that they're pursuing. I'm, that's just not me. My, one of my strengths is adaptability. So sometimes I'm making it up as I go. Um, but that students for, you remind me that that students for development internship program um, was something that really uh, continues to shape my work, but um, in, in previous years was really shaping uh, the experiences I was creating for students, like so taking the, the really um, beneficial components, the strongest components of that program and incorporating them into like alternative break type experiences. Um, it was an experiential learning program. Um, and, you know, thinking back to my own experience and what would have been uh, helpful um, as like the only student from my university that was in in city kind of navigating there was a lot of ambiguity navigating a lot of ambiguity so um yeah I, I tend to draw on that experience quite a bit and it's interesting because it kind of came full circle um to a couple oh several years ago now when um university of calgary and other institutions across canada um had these internships they had a different name um but i was at one point helping to select the students or helping to promote the program and selecting the students to participate in them. And it just seemed really interesting that I had been an intern and then I was seeing some of my students pursue those same internships. It just kind of oh, felt cool. like a circle. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Um, so those are all the kind of the prepared questions I have. I've got some of the rapid fire questions if you're ready. Oh gosh. I, and I didn't study up. So, Oh, they're they're just easy to answer. Um, What is the last book you read? The last book I read? The last book I listened to? Or listened to or consumed? (laughs) But uh, I just finished listening to Handmaid's Tale. Oh. Mm -hmm. I hadn't read it since like the TA in, I don't know what year, a long time ago. So it was, yeah, awesome to revisit that given, you know, the current 
state of the world. Yeah, everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah. And no, I haven't I haven't watched the miniseries either. Um, do you have a favorite Muppet? Oh, a favorite Muppet? Mm, I like, I don't know any of their names. Those two that always argue. Oh, I don't know their names. I had the ones in like the theater and they're always yes. just kind of grumpy. Old. Yeah, they're phenomenal. Yeah. Um, do you have any nicknames? Uh, yeah. Um, in university, people used to call me Kype or Kuiper. Um, I often go by my middle name, which is Army. It's Finnish, A-R-M-I. Um, yeah, I think that's probably it. Okay. Um, what would you say to first year you? First year me. Oh, it's okay to change your major. It's okay to change your major. Yes. Even if it means an extra year of study. Even if you're on student loans. I wish someone told me that. And do an exchange. Do an exchange. Yeah, that's my biggest regret. Yeah. Um, if you could pick a song to play every time you entered a room, what song would you pick? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, I have no idea. This is a tricky one because it's a huge commitment. It is. And it also requires that you know a lot of music. And I just don't. My husband kind of makes fun of me for that. But he's like, you know this song. You know it. And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't know. I don't know, Adam. Um, if you were to somehow come into a ton of money and you wanted to donate a bunch of it to build a building at oh. a college or university or some sort of structure, what do you think you would want to build? The Aaron Kaipanen Center for? Oh, cool. Mm, ethical international engagement? Or, you know what, I, I think we, we used to talk about um, building a commuter student lounge at the University of Calgary. Um, uh, a lot of our students come from pretty far away in Calgary like cities really spread out so um, having a, a place to kind of foster that sense of community where people can kind of hang out together together you know there is there is some basic supplies for for grabbing something to eat for making coffee I, I a commuter student lounge yeah nice yeah um what is a hidden talent hidden talent hmm hmm I have um, uh, a pretty good knack for picking up different languages. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Like I learned a little bit of Nepali um, when I was, yeah, yeah. But I have to work at it. it. It comes naturally to me, but what I don't do is apply the, you know, do the effort to really sustain something. So, But I, I languages do come come to me. All right, the last kind of question that we ask everyone, and I know you're a little bit nervous about it, but... Oh, I'm excited too. Um, who would you think that we should interview next for the podcast? Right, and I thought a lot about this. I didn't think about any of the other questions, but I thought a lot about <laughs> And I want to nominate three people. Um, one who's been nominated before, but she was just such a powerful mentor um, to me as I started in affairs and and continues to be like someone in my network that I call on um Shannon Butters or Shannon Clark is her, her married name but um I went to university with with Shannon was on residence was involved with residence life with her and then I ended up working for her and, and you know consider her a peer as well um Shannon Clark 
uh, someone that you know, Christina Boslow. She's a manager of international learning programs at Brock. Yes, she's amazing. So these are, these are two Brock connections because both I live I lived in Res with both of these um, wonderful women. But Christina was once my my roommate, and she was uh, in my wedding. And uh, she, uh, I mean, that woman has traveled the world and created some really exceptional international learning opportunities for Brock students. And yeah, she's I don't I don't talk to her very often, um, but I think she has a lot to share. And then the third one um, is someone I really don't know very well, but someone I want to know better, um, and I find her really, really inspiring. Um, her name is Emily Wyatt, and she has, like, a formal background in, in student affairs. Like, she studied in the U.S. to do her master's, um, and I believe she worked at UBC at one point. Um, but then she moved maybe two years ago to University of Calgary. She doesn't work under student services here, but she works within our faculty of engineering, which I think is really interesting. Um, and I don't know if she's, I don't know what her title is, but she works with diversity and student professional development for engineering students. Um, and as I was preparing to go on mat leave, uh, I don't even know which one, but uh, Emily stepped in to serve as a project leader in Costa Rica. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, those are three excellent recommendations. Okay, well, I, I can't wait to hear their interviews. Oh, well, thank you so much for the time. I know coordinating a time at this time of year with the time change and everything can be a bit complex. So I'm so grateful for your willingness, but then also for your patience to follow through on finding the time. Oh, well, I'm so grateful for the opportunity and uh, I look forward to kind of continuing our conversations. It's really great to chat with you, Adam. Awesome. Thanks, Erin. Thank you. Take care. Have a good one. <laughs> Bye. So that's it. Oh, that was good. It was good, right? Way to end the season. So good. Thank you so much, Erin, for agreeing to be interviewed. Um, I had a lovely time reconnecting with you and hearing about your work. And that's, that's it for our season, season five. Uh, please connect with us on social media. We'll miss you, uh, but <laughs> send us your thoughts on this episode, the season, ideas for next season. Uh, my hash, not hashtag, oh, my handle is at NadsRoses, N-A-D-S-R-O-S-E-S, -S, and Adam, yours is? At Adam Kewen, K-U-H-N. And we encourage you to use the hashtag RelaySA if you have any thoughts or feelings about this, this whole podcast thing. Again, or any suggestions or anything, yeah. we'd be happy to hear it. Thank you for the theme-based music to Adrian Ross. We love you and thank you so much. And also, lastly, um, just as we're going on hiatus between seasons, <laughs> yes. um, please feel free to get in, in touch with either of us if you have any Again, feedback on the podcast, but if you have any ideas for a podcast of your own, perhaps. Or conversations. Um, conversations. It doesn't have to be even like a whole idea. It can be just like a standalone, one-off thing, and we yeah. can help you with that. Um, so please don't hesitate to get in contact with us. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the season. And we'll see you next season on season six. six. Woo! <laughs>